Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this current series, we are discussing CIC issue number 122, the gospel as the true armor of God. Now, last week, we were talking about our need to stand in the gospels, stand in what we have in Christ. Do you want to just give us a quick recap of that? And then we'll go on to discuss prayer. Yeah, um, I, I surely will. If we get that right, if we understand the gospel and we stand firm, that's what God told us to do. We're not lacking, okay? Let me just cite something from the article that I wrote back in 2012. We must stand in the gospel as God's inheritance, promised to the Son, and secured by God's work of grace. Amen. Okay, and we've covered that in previous episodes. Now, what we need to realize in the bigger context of the book of Ephesians is that if we are God's inheritance promised to the Son and secured by God and His grace, what keeps us that way is the gospel, not something more. Right. We're not lacking. Okay. Now, this doesn't make us just passive spectators. Standing is an imperative. And so we stand firm because what could happen, and as the case of many people who become seduced by false teachers, is they get drawn away from standing in Christ and come up with techniques and processes unknown to the Bible that they think they need to do. Otherwise, they're going to be lost or Satan is going to make their lives bad. Right. We've mentioned some of those before, but let's just give a few examples of what people retreat to. Well, the one we want to cover today is really false versions of prayer. Okay. Okay. Now, we've already talked about processing the past, trying to identify curses, even though Ephesians 1, 3 says we're blessed. Uh, uncovering the names of demons. We've covered that one. Uh, talking to the spirits and telling them what to do. There's, there's just an endless array of processes all based on gaining secret information not revealed in the Bible or not known by any ordinary means. And we've rejected all of that. Yes. So what we want to deal with today is something that really should shock us, but it doesn't because it's been so common. And that is to take something as central to the Christian life and the gospel as prayer and turn it into a process for controlling the spirits. Wow. Okay. So how does this happen? Okay. Well, I'll tell you how I see it happen. I have seen it happen. Is as we're going through the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Okay. Verse 18, it goes to prayer. Yes. But prayer is not a piece of the armor. Okay. Now, we can prove that grammatically. And All right. If somebody would be interested in 
going back and hearing the sermons. I did that. They're on the ggf.church website under Ephesians when I covered this. But I dealt with it also in this article. Okay. Prayer is a prayer to God for boldness to proclaim the gospel and expressing our concerns and needs to God who cares for us has given us access to the throne of grace. Yes. Prayer is not talking to demons. Okay. Now that right. should be obvious, but it clearly yeah. isn't. Okay. Why isn't it obvious? Because of all these books that are out there or the pietistic version of it. There is so much to deal with. There's so much false teaching on prayer. It's frankly shocking. Yeah, that is true. A lot of it comes from just church history, particularly pietism, monasticism, Roman Catholicism, pietistic versions of evangelicalism, deeper life, higher order of this, more devoted that, biographies of the saints. These were all out there even when I was in Bible college. And we're always thinking there's somebody that knows the secret and they care more than we do and they work harder than we do and they spend all their time in prayer and they pray, pray until they make themselves physically sick to show how dedicated they are to God. That's true. And, and you still see a lot that, of that. Then maybe yeah. God will hear you. But what they don't get, it sounds so pious, but it's utterly pagan. It's it a, is. Yeah, it's a denial of the New Testament teaching about prayer. Right. Okay. So maybe we well, need to lay out the New Testament teaching on prayer to make this completely clear. Well, prayer is Christians whose sins are forgiven, over whom Jesus is the one high priest, we believe in the priesthood of every believer. The verse I tell dozens and dozens and dozens of people about in the context of what we're talking about is Hebrews 4.16. Okay, so let's read that. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right. What a great verse. The word time of need. There's a the word for time there is qualitative time. Yeah. Uh, God brings us the help we need at the crucial time. That's right. Why? Because he loves us. We're his people. Because we are his possession, as we've been saying in this series. And God's going to take care of his own. But it isn't impersonal. It's personal. It's relational. We've said again and again, deliverance is not mystical. It's not based on secret knowledge. It's not symptomatic. It's relational. If we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith, and we are safe, and we're, we're in the gospel, then we have access, not through proving to God that we're really serious, not through our many words. Jesus talked about that not because we're holier than ordinary Christians, but because God has cleansed us by the blood of Jesus and given us access directly to his throne where 
we find what? Mercy and grace and timely help. Grace Amen. for just the time we need it. Now, why mercy? Because we need to always have the understanding that it's mercy that we even have uh, ability to go to God and still live. Right. Under the old covenant, they were afraid. Yeah. Right so. Our God is a consuming fire. That's right. They, they, those who tried to um, approach the tent of meaning wrongly when it wasn't, <laughs> didn't the ground open up and well, swallow them alive? Well, there was a, they doubted that Moses was the one who spoke for God. Yeah. And there were rebellions where, why should Moses be the one? Well, because God chose him. That's why. Right. Okay. Moses was the one who went up on Sinai into the presence of God and didn't die. Even that was a theophany, not God in his ultimate essence and being. And he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. But some people said, well, that isn't right. We, we had a better idea. And, you know, Korah and others tried that one. It didn't turn yeah. out no. good. No. Okay. And likewise, now under the new covenant, access was gained through the greater Moses and the greater David, in fact, the son, the very yeah. prophet who Moses predicted in Deuteronomy, that God would raise up a prophet like me when he does listen to him. Jesus is revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration as that one by a voice from heaven who said, this is my son, listen to him. And so he died for sins. He rose from the dead. He bodily ascended into heaven. And he reigns at the right hand of God, according to Psalm 110 and verse 1. Now, Hebrews 4.16 is telling us we have access to the Son himself. Can you imagine how shocking that must have been to the original audience? You know, the, the Jewish believers who, I mean, in their system, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and then him only once a year under certain circumstances, and, and they were usually up. afraid he was going to die. Exactly. And then here the author of Hebrew says, we can come boldly before the throne right. of grace. We need that to not take that lightly. You didn't just go boldly barging into the holiest place. No. Okay, and that's what Hebrews is about, because they were tempted to go back to that whole system. Yes. And they were so tempted at a failure said, to stand. They, right. they yeah. They what to we're go talking back. about here. Why did they want to go back? Well, they wanted to go back to something that was valid at one point. Yes. But now we have people going to something that never was valid. Which is much worse. Shamanism, it's worse. But uh, the author of Hebrews said of the uh, blood of bulls and goats offered again and again and again could never really take away sins because otherwise why keep the offerings going on. Right. Why, why keep having the Day of Atonement? The temple was still standing when Hebrews was written. That's pretty clear. Yes. That's what tempted them. Why? Because it was so uh, tangible. They had the smells and the bells, the sounds, the pageantry, the anticipation. People love religious holidays. Yes. They want to create them as many as they can. We talked about that previously. They're always coming up with new ones or making it more elaborate ones they made up. 
And so it's pretty shocking that people really study the New Testament and see that there's no required holiday. holiday. Right. Now we remind ourselves of uh, the resurrection. Mm-hmm. But the only thing required is the Lord's Supper, and it's not told how often and on what date. Right. And even on what day of the week. It's all liberty. Yeah. Well, that's shocking. People can't. Well, we don't want that. So that's why they have Rome. Rome just keeps piling on more pageantry, more smells and bells. They want to recreate something attractive like the Jews had when they had a temple. Right. But and I'm seeing a lot of people now, you know, we've been warning for years with, at CIC about the dangers of going back to Rome. And we've been okay. watching evangelicalism do it. Well, now the new thing is all these people converting to Eastern Orthodoxy. Well, the errors are different. They're as bad or worse. And a lot of times it's the same things. We like the icons and we like the holiness and we like right. the traditions and the, you know, the thousands of years of church history it's the yeah, same but, trap. It's just slightly different doctrine. Well, the fact is, Eastern Orthodox is even more mystical. They have this doctrine of theosis where we can ascend to godhood. Wow. It's even more pagan, and but it's all bad. None of it is valid because the popes of Rome or the patriarch of uh, Greek Orthodoxy or whatever, whoever their leaders are, none of them are really apostles. No, have they seen the risen Christ? Right. Right. They didn't see the resurrected Christ. They weren't personally appointed by Christ in the flesh, and they weren't taught by Christ. Paul's the last one. So it's all not valid. But the point is this. The more you create this, the more enticing it is to pull people away from Christ and the gospel. Yes. Okay. So we're told this, and this is the key thing, dear listeners, Uh, that you need to know about prayer. We pray according to the teaching of the New Testament, and he hears us because of his promise. We don't see the throne room of God, okay? We don't hear audible voices. We don't have some uh, pope or cardinal or high priest on earth. We don't have literal blood like Rome claims they have, which is all a myth anyhow. It's just a process they created. It's not valid. We have faith. And our faith is based on what God did once for all. The blood of Jesus was shed once for all. Study the book of Hebrews, okay? The blood was shed once for all. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits to show that ultimately we will participate in a resurrection. He ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, and it says, therefore, we come boldly to the throne of grace, which is something they couldn't do with the sanctuary at the temple. Right. For for fear of dying. But we can come actually boldly. How do we come? By prayer, by faith. We, we let our needs be known to God. We have a compassionate high priest who has both the attributes of the man, the Messiah, and deity, God the Son, who existed from all eternity, so we can actually hear the prayers of everyone praying at the same time. 
Right. Because of omniscience. He can answer prayers because omnipotence. And he is loving. He cares about us. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Hallelujah. Amen. And he gives us help in time of need, Hebrews 4, 16. And that's so amazing. But people don't want that. They want something else. Right. Why? Why do you want something else? What would be better than that? Well, here's the kicker. You have to actually believe what God said. That's right. It's, it really boils down to a failure of faith. Right. Will you stand if your circumstances don't change or will you retreat? You, know, you bail out and say, well, maybe if I gave away more money and prayed more hours and fasted uh, so many hours or days or do whatever I got to do, then maybe he'll hear me. But we don't need some sort of sign that God hears us. We know that he does. Yeah. And he gives us the help that we need. It may not be what we expected. We may say, dear Lord, I want this and this and this. Please give it to me in this fashion at this time because that's what I would like. But it's better to go to him with what your needs are. I need to provide for my family. I need to uh, serve you and I'm sick and I need healing so that I can continue. And so I can be the mother, the father, or the teacher, or whatever it is. And you bring your needs to God. And he answers yeah. and brings time, timely help. Um, I've preached on Hebrews 4.16 many times, but it literally says timely help. So then in Ephesians, prayer isn't praying against demons or principalities. What is it praying for? It's praying for boldness. Paul, okay. not just in Ephesians, but throughout Paul's epistles and frankly, the book of Acts with all the apostles. You can look that up. Notice, by the way, we were talking about Hebrews 4.16, go boldly to the throne. Yeah. So we know he, he loves us, we're his children, he hears us. Okay. And we can make our needs known. But one thing that's really important in the context of spiritual warfare which is what we're talking about here, is prayerful boldness to preach the gospel. Right. Okay. Wow. And because the real power is the gospel. That's what the armor of God is. Okay. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And ultimately, even in Clinton Arnold, in his book that we review, says that this word rhema here refers to the gospel. So I'm okay. agreeing with Clinton Arnold on that. And so... The easiest way to get away from the attacks is just quit preaching the gospel. <laughs> Except for that's a very bad idea. Oh, because then you're making friends with the world. Right. If you want Satan, you know, people say, well, I'll just uh, join the world and I've got friends and all's well. Well, yeah, other than your eternal life uh, is hanging in the balance. and Right. That's how Satan wins the battle. Yeah, he wins the battle by just getting you to quit preaching the gospel and to cave in and go back to the shamans. Okay. Right. So uh, by making prayer, prayer against demons, you're unwittingly 
decreasing your confidence in the gospel itself to deliver people from the domain of Satan. Okay. So the way the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and I agree with Arnold, it means gospel, works is this. That's the being God uses to deliver people totally out of that domain. To yes. transfer them from darkness to light, from the domain of Satan to God. Acts 26, 18. And so constantly just look at up the New Testament, look up that word boldness. Lots of times it's applied to gospel preaching. Okay. Grant your servants boldness. That's what they said after persecution broke out. Yeah. And read, read about that in Acts. So the wrong version of this is suggesting that we need to somehow make verbal statements that would help deploy the weapons. Okay. Okay. See, and that's where I'm disagreeing with Clinton Arnold. As much as he's helped me, and I admire the help I got, especially his commentaries and his book on the Colossian syncretism, he has some great data. But he gets off eventually by joining up with people like Ed Silvoso, who endorsed his book, Neil Anderson, some others. And then it takes a little turn, and that's where I'm going to have to disagree, okay? Okay. And so let me quote something Arnold says that I'm disagreeing with. And that uh, is in my article, the PDF version, page six, bottom of the third column. Arnold says, quote, the author appears to give prayer a more prominent place than merely the seventh among a list of spiritual weapons. So I want to stop right there. It's not a weapon at all. Okay. It's access to God where for all things. Okay. Right. It's prayer for boldness to preach. Back to Arnold. Prayer seems, notice how he slides that in, seems mm -hmm. to serve as a partial basement for the deployment of the other arms. This, then I have some ellipses. This emphasis on prayer is extended even further when in verse 9, 19, the author requests prayer for himself to the end that he himself might have an effective use of one of the spiritual weapons that is the gospel. Clinton Arnold, page 112 on the book that I'm reviewing here about power and magic in Ephesus. But here's part of the problem. It isn't that prayer is a, a part of one of the weapons. The gospel isn't one of the weapons. Okay. Prayer isn't a weapon. The armor of God is the gospel in various aspects of the gospel. As we said, truth, righteousness. Okay. Gospel readiness. Yeah. The part of the spirit. Uh, salvation. It's all about the gospel. And its point is to preach Christ and the means by which people can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. But Arnold doesn't get too far off. But then who does are some of his uh, supporters and promoters in this school that he was at the time the dean of and we need to talk about that. We're going to run out of time here, but I want to give you a little preview. Okay. The people like Neil Anderson, Ed Silvoso, 
see Peter Wagner, who really are some of the biggest purveyors of false spiritual warfare teachings. All right. And so the door that was left open, that they go in and fill in with all kinds of stuff that you can't get out of Ephesians or Colossians or any of these other books, is that, oh, prayer is a weapon. Now let's talk about how we break the curse, how we tell the demon to leave, how we take power over territories on planet Earth through prayer vigils or whatever it is that they're going to do. So this is where this is all going. Okay. And so as this gets written about, implemented uh, through evangelicalism, the charismatic movement, the new apostolic reformation, see Peter Wagner, all of this eventually takes on a whole life of its own. It's got absolutely nothing to do with Ephesians 6. Amen. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. We want to remind you, you can access this program as well as years worth of others and many, many articles on a wide variety of topics at the website cicministry.org. And we want to remind you to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.